We're in the second week of our yearly Advent series. And you might be wondering what this word Advent means and what it has to do with Christmas. And so briefly, the English word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which is itself a translation of the Greek word parousia, or parousia, which specifically means arrival, but it tends to be used in the New Testament to refer to the second coming, the arrival of Jesus Christ. And so Advent is this season which Christians all over the world look back to the original arrival of Christ into the world at Bethlehem and prepare our hearts for that, which is, of course, also preparing ourselves to celebrate the future coming, the future arrival of Christ in glory to judge the living and the dead. And so that's Advent. And this year, our Advent journey is taking us through the first couple chapters of the Gospel of Luke and all these really surprising, bizarre, astonishing events that paved the way for the birth of Jesus. Uh, Dave did a great job last week getting us started. It was good to have him back. And I, I miss my co-parents, so it was good to see him back. He got things started off last week with a story about John the Baptist. And so today, as the Whitmires just read, we pick it up in verses 26 through 38, in the story about the annunciation of Jesus' birth. So uh, if you were here last week, then you probably noticed some, some of the similarities between today's story and last week's story. In last week's story, we also have this angel showing up, Gabriel, and delivering news of this astonishing birth, the birth of John the Baptist. He shows up and tells this priest named Zechariah and his wife, who is advanced in years, that they're going to give birth, have a son, they're going to name him John. This week's story, the same angel, Gabriel, he shows up to this young girl named Mary and informs her that she's going to conceive and give birth to a boy named Jesus. Now, Mary is very surprised by her angelic visitor. The scene is not described in any great detail, so we have to fill in the blanks for ourselves a bit. She is minding her own business one day alone in the house, which was very normal for a Jewish girl her age. We, we can't know for sure how old Mary was, but she was likely between 13 and 15 years old. And as an unwed Jewish girl, teenage girl, Mary would have never been alone in the company of a man who was not her dad or her brother. The, the Jewish sexual ethic was, was very prudent on these things. And so girls did not get to hang out with a boy except dad or brother until they were married. And all the girl dads in the room said, amen. Sounds like a very good rule, doesn't it? Very reasonable. Very Jewish. I like it. Uh, and this also helps describe Mary's surprise when she suddenly finds herself in the presence of this angel named Gabriel. Because the text does not tell us whether or not Gabriel had a sense of humor. But I didn't think that he did, you know what I mean? And so I think he's probably waiting until Mary was doing something very embarrassing before he revealed himself. Maybe she's picking her nose or something. Gabriel just shows up, second knuckle deep in the old nostril. Greetings, Mary! So she's, she's stunned by this thing, man. And then Gabriel, he, he tries to put her at ease. He gets down to business and tells her that she does not need to be afraid, but rather she should be honored because she has found favor with God and found herself the recipient of the greatest honor that any human being has ever received. All of which means Mary is a really big deal. And so here's what we know about Mary. Well, we don't really know anything about Mary. <laughs> Almost nothing. Uh, we know that she's from Nazareth, which is uh, not a particularly trendy location. You know, she's not from Westlake or the Hamptons or Highland Park or or Messer Ranch or anything. No, she's, uh, she's from Buckholtz. You know, nothing bad about Buckholtz, I'm just saying. I'm just, not a lot of Airbnbs there, man. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. 
We don't know anything about her family, which means there's probably nothing significant about her family. And then so far as we can tell, there's nothing obviously remarkable about Mary. Because while she has found herself the recipient of this unprecedented honor, Luke does not even attempt to explain why. Instead, Luke is content to leave us with the impression that apparently God saw something in Mary that nobody else really saw. And this brings us to something that I think is very, very interesting. Because as many of us are aware, a lot of kind of stories, a lot of momentum has built up over the years around Mary. And a lot of these stories have been an attempt to explain what was so remarkable about Mary, attempts to fill in the blanks that Luke intentionally left blanks that we can understand why is Mary such a big deal. So for example, some ancient commentators claim that Mary had at a very young age made this vow of perpetual virginity, that at a very young age she had dedicated her chastity to the Lord. Uh, There's this very early Christian writing called the Proto-Evangelium of James. And it, it talks about Mary like she was some sort of just religious prodigy. It says that she began walking when she was like six months old. I don't know what that has to do with being a religious prodigy, but apparently that's six months old. Mary's just, just walking around, at which point her mom builds a sanctuary for her in her bedroom so that she can just hang out in the crib and just be holy and stuff. You know, that, that she dedicated herself to the Lord from birth, and then at three years old, her parents took her to the temple, and she just lived there. From the time she was three years old, she lived in the temple, and she was fed food by the angels, they said about Mary. Now, I got to tell you, I have a three-year-old little girl at home, okay? We got a picture of her, I believe. This is the youngest member of the Fisher How this little Quinn. I know, doesn't she look like an angel? But she's not. She's not at all an angel. The other day, one of our older brothers was messing with her, and this little angelic face looked her eight-year-old brother dead in the eyes, and she says, I kid you not, I kill you. And she hit him in the face with a stick, with a stick. All that to say, ain't no three-year-olds that well-behaved, man. No three-year-olds get fed goldfish by the angels. Not even Mother Mary. I'm calling BS on that one. I don't believe it. All of this kind of got the momentum going for these very elevated claims about Mary that appeared over the years. Things like her, her perpetual virginity, which play a bigger role in, let's say, more Catholic circles. If you grew up Catholic, you probably heard some things like that. And so here's what I find so interesting. These, these later attempts to turn Mary into some kind of you know, religious prodigy who was a saint straight out of the womb and who everybody knew was just like the most amazing person ever. Well, it, it seems to me that all of this kind of, kind of does the exact opposite. It says the exact opposite of what Luke was trying to say about Mary. Because what Luke was trying to say about Mary was not that she was some sort of like famous spiritual prodigy. It's not that she was the LeBron James of Judaism. You know, she was on the cover of Jewish Illustrated as the number one recruit in the synagogue from the time she was like three years old. Have you heard about that girl, Mary out of Nazareth? Oh my goodness, man, she's got a holiness game like we've never seen before. Wonder where she's gonna commit, you know? I'm very proud of that. No! Not at all. This is the exact opposite of what Luke is trying to say. What Luke is trying to say about Mary is that her faithfulness was off the official religious radar. It's that Mary was not some influencer, spiritual superstar. It's that Mary's faith was quiet and it was unnoticed by basically everybody. Everybody except God. I love the way New Testament scholar David Lyle Jeffrey puts this. Not David Jeffries, David Lyle Jeffrey puts this. It says, Mary's is a hidden life. 
even as her extraordinary choosing is to itself be hidden. God saw something in Mary that apparently no one else saw and no one else needed to see because having our faithfulness seen by God is ultimately all that matters. And I sense that this this might be a word that a few of us might need to receive today. Because one of the really weird things about modern culture is that we all now have this unprecedented ability to show and tell everybody how amazing and faithful we are. I guess that's, that's why God made social media, right? So you can show and tell everybody how amazing and faithful you are, right? So that's kind of its own weird thing. But even more problematic, I think, um, one of the really, really, really weird things about being a Christian in the modern world is the degree to which we are obsessed with and shaped by famous Christians. Isn't that kind of weird? It strikes me as kind of weird. And I'm not gonna name any names because my mama raised me right. But I will just suggest that we might all want to think a little bit more about the wisdom of allowing ourselves to be shaped so constantly and so profoundly by Christians who want to be famous for being Christians. Because, theologically speaking, that is gross. And the best thing that we can do for these many aspiring spiritual celebrities who now grace us in our social media timelines uh, would be to ignore them so that they, and I say this with all love, they could go get a real life. And so Mary's hidden faithfulness is a reminder of what faithfulness really looks like because God likes to partner with people who do not need applause or recognition. God likes to partner with people for whom faithfulness is not a means to status because faithfulness is an end in itself. Or as Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 11, this is a good life verse for a lot of modern people. Hey, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and mind your own business. Work with your own hands. Over the past month, we have lost three different members of the Vista family. Janice Vance, Bobby Luckett, and Jim Tidmore. And death is always sad, you know. Um, but I remember walking away from all three of those funerals so proud of and grateful for the simple, low-key, ordinary faithfulness of people like Janice and Bobby and Jim. Janice Vance served over in Vista Kids in the nursery for a decade. Mary got nothing on her, man, <laughs> you know? I gave all three of my kids, my newborn kids, over to Janice over the years, handed them over to her, knowing that she would care for them just like they were her own. Bobby Luckett's funeral was filled with people whom he had cared for, men he had taught the Bible to. And Jim Tidmore, man, I still remember Jim standing out there. He was always at this door for every, I believe it's 1015 service, because he always said the same thing to everybody. Y'all remember what Jim would say to you when you walked in? He'd say, good morning, Jesus loves you. He didn't even know you, but he knew Jesus loved you. And I tend to think that we would all be a lot better off if we allowed ourselves to be a little more influenced by the simple low-key faithfulness of people like Janice and Bobby and Jim. And so Mary's hidden faithfulness has caught the attention of the God who sees everything for what it really is. 
And then Gabriel, he drops this bomb on her, right? And he tells her that she's gonna conceive and give birth to uh, the son of the most high God and the heir to David's throne who's gonna reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And look, I just gotta tell you, Mary is apparently the most mature teenager who has ever existed in the history of the world. You notice that? She's so calm, cool, and collected, man. This is bomb gets dropped on her. And she's like, well, okay, but I am a virgin. So not sure if you angels know how the birds in the bee, I understand it works different for y'all, but uh, this, this appears to be a bit of a kink in the plan, Gabriel. You might wanna, might wanna go back to the drawing board on this one. Right? I mean, can you imagine an angel showing up to 15-year-old you and dropping this bomb on you when you were 15, 13 years old? You're just making a TikTok video, playing Fortnite, doing your algebra homework, and this angel just shows up. I mean, I don't know about you, but man, if an angel had showed up and ambushed 15-year-old me, would not have found me in prayer. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And definitely would not have found someone responsible enough to raise God. Some y'all, I couldn't even take care of my hamster. He died in a tragic washing machine accident. I can't even imagine. If it had been you, we'd all be dead in our sins, man. Where's G? I don't know. I, I, I'm like, <laughs> So Mary, most most mature teenager ever, she receives this astonishing news and she asks a a very understandable, clarifying question. She says, how can this be since I am a virgin? And Gabriel then goes on to explain how this can be, but before we explore that, I am am bound by the duties of sonship to answer a question that my mommy asked me the other day. She'd been reading through the story and she had uh, noticed that in last week's story about the annunciation of John the Baptist's birth, John's dad, Zacharias, he also gets confronted by Gabriel with this crazy news that he's going to have a kid. And he asks what seems to be a very reasonable question, right? Y'all remember Zacharias' question? Right, we go. He says, how will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife, well, let's just say she's advanced in years, right? And if you remember Gabriel, he was not having Zacharias' question. You remember what he did to him? Struck the man with muteness for nine months. And so how come Zacharias asked? what appears to be a very reasonable question. And the man gets hit with laryngitis for nine months. Whereas Mary asked a very similar question. Gabriel's happy to get all chatty and just go into this theological explanation of the physics of the divine conception. And the only explanation that I can come up with, the only explanation that makes any sense is, this is reverse sexism, right? That's obviously, <laughs> Israel is there, is there in the first century. Some of y'all not having it, okay. Either that, Either that or Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, she got to Gabriel first, right? She was like, hey, if he calls me old, you hit him with that laryngitis. Nine months if he calls me old. I'll have this baby. He's not going to call me old. On a serious note, most scholars struggled to come up for a good explanation for why Zechariah's question was frowned upon and Mary's was welcome. The best we can seem to do is to say that it, it looks like Zechariah's was looking for a sign whereas Mary was asking for an explanation. So in other words, Zechariah doesn't believe, so he asked Gabriel to prove it, whereas Mary believes, but she then asked Gabriel to explain it. That's the best we can do. And that brings us to this matter of the virgin birth. As Gabriel explains it to Mary, he says that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the power of the Most High God will overshadow her. The word translated overshadow is the Greek word episkiosai, It's a word with a rich history in the Old Testament. Uh, In the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, it was the word used to describe how God's presence would overflow and fill and overshadow Israel's tabernacle. Okay, so this is Exodus 40, verses 34 through 35. 
Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And so just as the eternal God once upon a time had had settled upon Israel's tabernacle, so now the most high God would settle upon Mary's womb to conceive of this boy in fulfillment of God's promises to Israel for the sake of all the nations. And somewhat understandably, the virgin birth has occasioned no small amount of skepticism over the years. Because so far as we know, virgins can't have babies. All right, some of you may not understand how this works. Some of you kids may not know. So parents should have told you by now. So I got a picture for you to show you where babies come from. There it is. Um, Do you really think I was gonna do it to you? No, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do that to you. I told you. Uh, Well, so the skepticism about the virgin birth started very early. In the second century, this Greek philosopher named Celsus said that Jesus was the illegitimate son of a Roman soldier, second century. And tales like this persisted throughout the years. But the denial of the virgin birth really picked up steam about 100 years ago with the emergence of something that came to be known as Protestant liberalism, right? Protestant liberalism. And there's a long and complicated story that we could tell here, but the, the, the gist of it is that uh, around that time, we had these very monumental, they were gradual, but very monumental changes in philosophy and in science that were associated with something called humanism, right? And long story short, humanism is a lot of things, but it's fundamentally about a very deep confidence in the human ability to know and understand and explain everything in strictly human materialistic, horizontal terms. We don't need any divine frame of reference to explain anything. We can explain it all in material terms. And so what happened is that this humanism slowly worked its way into theology, and one of the clearest manifestations of this was an unprecedented skepticism toward and rejection of miracles. Because think about it. If if you think that you can explain basically everything in strictly material and human terms, then this would mean that there's just there's really not a place for miracles. You don't need miracles. As New Testament scholar Robert Funk, who was the founder of the infamous Jesus Seminar, put it, we can be certain that Mary did not conceive Jesus without the assistance of human sperm, but it is unclear whether Joseph or some other unnamed male was the real biological father of Jesus. How can we know this, Robert Funk? Well, because we know how babies are made. And we can explain it in purely human terms. We don't need any other explanations. No other explanations are allowed. And so Protestant liberalism, which really emerged in the early 1900s, but it it lives on today in various forms, it was really defined by this attempt to, to believe in Christianity without really believing that God really acts in the world. Or to put it more directly, more liberal forms of Christianity have typically tried to believe in Christianity without fully believing in Christ. I'm not throwing any punches here. Y'all know me. I try to call balls and strikes like I see them, okay? And so this is one of the things that has happened in more liberal and progressive forms of Christianity. And perhaps should not shock you to know that it hasn't gone real well. And look, I understand skepticism. I do. I, I literally wrote a book about it. And Vista will always be a place for skeptics. 
because scripture is very clear that God always makes room for skeptics. Who were the first skeptics of the resurrection? Y'all remember the story we tell all the time. It was the apostles. They stand on a mountain and they look eye to eye with resurrected Jesus. And they still go, I don't know, man, I'm not sure. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna need to see more. Could you levitate a mountain? You know, it's crazy, right? So skeptics are welcome. But I have always found the more, it's typically more liberal or, or progressive skepticism about the virgin birth specifically. I don't know. I've always found it kind of funny. Because if you will believe that God created the world, the universe, the cosmos, then why would you find it so hard to believe that God created a baby in Mary's womb? Or like you will believe that God made something out of nothing. Like there was nothing. There's nothing to work with. There's no universe. There's no God makes something out of nothing. You're like, yep, I, I will believe that God made something out of nothing. But then you come to the virgin birth and you're like, but that's just crazy. Okay, I have to draw the line here. A universe out of nothing, okay, but a baby in Mary's womb, well, now we're just getting silly, okay? That's just, that's, that's crazy. And so look, if you find the virgin birth unlikely, be you, be you Christian, agnostic, atheist, we got people of all types here, and I love it. If you find the virgin birth unlikely, I understand, but I, I do think that you might want to think a little bit more closely about how unlikely it is that we are all here. And yet, here we are. I think we're not in the matrix, right? Here here we are against all odds so far as I can tell. And our very unlikely being here should perhaps humble all of our proclamations about what is and isn't likely. Because there's a chance, be it ever so slim, that you and me don't know as much as we think we do about what is likely. And that brings us to Mary's response. Having heard this miraculous news, she responds with submission and obedience. And she says, may it be done to me according to your word, God. Bonaventure was this early Christian theologian. He wrote very eloquently about the conception of Jesus Christ. And he really highlighted the centrality of Mary's consent. And he suggests, and I just love this, that it was at the moment that Mary consented to God's plan that Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb. Isn't that cool? I love that. And the really powerful background and subtext to all this is that the ancient world was filled with stories of these gods who just acted unilaterally upon the world and who abused and raped women. It's very normal. Jupiter and Zeus are two of the most infamous examples. We've got all these horrible stories about Jupiter and Zeus coming down to earth and doing terrible things to women. And so against this background of gods who acted without consent to do whatever they wanted to humans and impose their will upon creation, how cool is it that the very first act of new creation is this young, unwed, Jewish teenage girl freely receiving the gracious work of a gracious God who acts very differently for the sake of the whole world. And none of us here today will will get the honor of being Mary, especially us guys. 
But I really do believe that the days of our lives are filled with these moments where we too can consent to and participate in the surprising and faithful work of the Holy Spirit. Moments where Mother Mary has taught us to say, God, may it be done to me according to your word. Or as her son would later say, thy will be done. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for the gift of today. We are so grateful to be here. We cannot comprehend how unlikely it is that we would be here. There's no good reason for it. And yet, here we are against all odds, and the only explanation is that you want us here. And not only did you want us here, but once we had kind of made a mess of things, made a mess of ourselves, made a mess of our world, you did not give up, but in this act of second creation, new creation, the Holy Spirit overshadowed, filled Mary's womb and conceived of the one who would deliver us from our sins. So we come before you today, God, new friends in the room, old friends in the room, and we ask that you would help us, like Mother Mary, to humbly submit, to come before you and to say, God, may it be done to me according to your word. There are things you want to do in all of our lives, God. These things can be very difficult to accept because we want to be in control, and Mary's obedience came at a great cost. But it's what she knew she needed to do. It's what she was made for to obey the God who made her. That call is on all of our lives this morning, and so I pray that you would draw us out from that place where we want to control and we want to be the boss, that we would submit to the surprising and gracious work you want to do in our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.